My name is Jeb McKay, I am writing Black Cat, and you are listening to Knights, a Marvel podcast. As a kid, my favorite comic was Ant-Man, the ultimate ninja. You got every one of those in multiples, didn't ya? Yeah, and it took a while to uh, collect them all. I got the last one I needed down at the shitty mall. Yes, yes, y'all. Like Lee Fox, that's real talk. And when I'm not reading them, keep them safe in the sealed box. Spotty, Booster Golden X-Men. Ninja Turtles a tick, and John Burns next, man. Collecting milk and cheese wookies to strange adventures. For real geeks who can name Avengers like Trathalon, Tigra, Jack of Hearts, US Agent, though he was Always in the wackest darks. You like Star Fox? That wouldn't bug me. Dude saw more pussy than Catwoman's undies. Trust me. Like Hawkeye and Mockingbird. You could call me a nerd. I like my drawings with words. Word. Thanks, Front True Believers, and welcome back to another episode of Knights, a Marvel podcast with your host, the enthusiastic Ethan Ainsworth. Today, we've got something very, very special for you an interview with one Jed McKay, whose first voice you heard just a moment ago. He's the writer of. Black Cat, Daredevil the Man Without Fear miniseries, Alpha Flight True North, and Daughters of the Dragon. And I was played in by friend of the show and resident burglar of words, Word Burglar. Big thanks to Word Burglar for letting me use his music in this podcast. Also go check out his comic, The Last Paper Route, available at Strange Adventures. I've got something very, very special lined up for you today, true believers. First, we're going to dive into Daredevil the Man Without Fear, number 234. But then at the end of the show... There's going to be a short interview with Jed McKay, writer of Daredevil, the Man Without Fear miniseries, which I personally think is a fantastic book that every Daredevil fan should read. Now, I will be honest, the interview's trimmed down a little bit, of course, but Jed McKay is a great guy, and he's really cool and interesting to talk to. I think the most interesting conversation we had was at the con off video though um which is unfortunate because i wrote all the questions ahead of time and um honestly the conversation we had just naturally as two people hanging out and talking about comic books and stuff they love was a little bit more interesting than the questions i was able to write i think unfortunately at three o'clock in the morning so um nonetheless stay tuned big thank you to jed mckay for being on the show i really appreciate it man all right, ladies and gentlemen, get ready for Daredevil, the man without fear, number 234. We've got a real treat this time. I think you'll understand why in just a moment. Well, the cover art is done by Klaus Janssen. The interior art is actually done, at least in part, by one Steve Ditko, co-creator of Doctor Strange, The Blue Beetle, Spider-Man, and many more. Now, if you listened to the previous episode, you know I have complex and mixed feelings about Steve Ditko. Um, not so much as a creator, but just as, like, a human being. But I, I don't think Steve Ditko's importance can be overstated. I mean, he is one of the founding bodies of modern Marvel in many ways. But this issue's creative team is almost entirely guests. Um, that is to say, most of the people who are working on this particular issue are not normally working on the Daredevil book, with the exception of the letter, the inker, and Klaus Janssen, who did the cover. If you'd like to see some of what we're talking about today, then you can head over to my Twitter account, where I will post some of the more important images that we talk about today. So the antagonist of this book is Madcap. And an interesting thing about Madcap is that he's actually one of the personalities of Deadpool. And if you're not aware, uh, Deadpool used to have multiple personalities living inside his brain. But it turns out that one such personality was actually one Madcap. And despite Madcap's superior healing factor, um, somehow the dominant personality, the dominant body that is to say, was Deadpool. Um, and he was in control of that body instead of the other way around. Which is strange because as you'll see in this book, like not only is, is Madcap 
its healing factor superior to Deadpool, but it's almost indistinguishable from invulnerability. So the cover's pretty standard stuff. Um, it's basically just Madcap jumping in the air over top of Daredevil as he's sort of manhandling this thug, laughing uh, manically. The only interesting note here is the little thing in the corner. So you may have a newsstand edition of this book if you have it, um, or you may have the regular one. I have the newsstand variant, meaning there's no sort of price tag or barcode at the bottom left corner. It's a picture, and this one in particular says give the gift of literacy and typically what you would see in this corner is either a promo for an upcoming marvel event or you would see a little spider-man head but it's interesting to note in this one there was some sort of deviancy uh, i don't personally collect newsstand editions i just get whatever copy of the book i can find but um a lot of people I know do collect those newsstand editions, so for those people it's an interesting note. Also, the heading of the book says, Look out, Daredevil! Madcap's on the loose! So as we open up the first page, we see a bunch of thugs moving, presumably drugs, uh, into the back of a truck. And Madcap appears, and he says, Greetings, greetings! My name's Madcap. That's mad isn't mad, and cap isn't cap. Don't tell me. Let me guess. You're all in the moving business, right? So immediately, Madcap jumps in, kicking one of the crates out of their hands and making a joke about crates, uh, and he breaks his hip, and he doesn't sort of, like, notice right away, he sort of plays it off. And so this is another interesting note about Madcap's healing factor over the standard one-of-the-mill Marvel healing factor, is that Madcap's actually not capable of feeling pain or any sort of sensation. So as Madcap is fighting these guys, there's no real sort of clear motivation as to why Madcap is doing this, um, why he's sort of preventing this crime other than just fun. But as he's doing this, he's sort of like flailing his head around manically as he sort of bounces about. Um, at one point he gets shot and the bullet sort of goes through him and there's no sort of sign of blood or anything like that. So I'm not really 100% sure as to how his physiology works because obviously if you cut Spider-Man or Captain America who have healing factors, they still you know, bleed, um, as well as Wolverine and Deadpool. But this guy's healing factor is, is, is really unique in that he doesn't feel any pain as a result of it, and he also doesn't seem to bleed as a result of it. But nonetheless, the thugs get the upper hand on him, um, no pun intended, as they hold him down by stepping on his hands, and he sort of makes eye contact with them, and his eyes emit this sort of strange yellowish energy, and it sort of causes mania in them, and uh, they go crazy, and they start shooting about randomly, and then they're pretending they're monkeys and dogs and so forth, um, and so this is one of the other abilities of Madcap, is that he can induce uh, insanity with a sheer glance. However, previously, he had a bubble type gun thing he had like a bubble gun that he would fire at people and that would make them go crazy so i don't know if in captain america which is where he first appeared that was his power and then it was changed by the writer in this book uh, or he could just sort of focus his power how whichever way he wants he can manifest that in whatever way he pleases but in this case it's via his eyes um, that he makes these people go mad. And at one point, one of the th uh, stray bullets hits him in the head and he doesn't seem to mind. So whereas Deadpool actually stores his consciousness in his brain, and if you, you know, you screw up his brain, he is actually mentally screwed up for the time until his brain heals. But Madcap doesn't seem to have any sort of physical consequence or mental consequence for being shot directly in the, the brain. I find his powers a little vexing as they don't seem to have any definite clear rules as 
as to how they work. Madcap claims that the bullet misses his brain entirely, but that's clearly not possible because it hits him like right in the middle of the forehead. Um, so I think he's just rambling about nonsense. So this cameraman sees what went on with Madcap and the thugs, and he comes over to him and asks him basically like what he was doing, why he was stopping those guys from smuggling guns. And he makes Madcap an offer f to be on like his network. Like, ah, Madcap, we're gonna make you a star, star, baby. For anyone who happens to care, the cameraman's name is Dollar Bill, and he's a fairly long-standing character who first appeared in the Defender series. So as Daredevil's jumping rooftop to rooftop, swinging through the city, he hears from apparently 30 blocks away. Well, I, I don't know about all that. I know Daredevil can hear really well, but he can't hear that well, come on. Um, but allegedly from 30 blocks away, he hears gunshots, so he goes to investigate. And when he gets there, he tries to interrogate the head uh, gun dealer, and he's just playing with the guns. And Daredevil sort of uses his deductive ability, which is a quality of Daredevil I think people forget a lot. It's like he's just not... He's not just a guy who can hear stuff. He also has to constantly be deducing causes and effects. Um, because with, without his ability to reason, without, without his intellect, he's, he wouldn't be able to make a coherent image out of the sensory input. So it makes sense that Daredevil would be a pretty stellar detective. So in classic Spider-Man fashion, Daredevil hears the police coming and he flees the scene going to the mental health ward on 28th Street in order to sort of deduce the cause of this, this madness. So the clock seemingly strikes 11 for Madcap as we cut to the leader of the organization who was smuggling the guns, Madcap, uh, broke up, and he's saying that he's offering a significant sum to whomever can take down Madcap. Now according to him, the hit is only $5,000, which is pretty ludicrous for murder. Um, I know this is 1986, which is a long time ago and inflation has gone somewhere since then, certainly, but uh, even back then I don't think that would be significant justification for any sort of worthwhile hitman to get involved. So Daredevil pretty much immediately suspects that Madcap may be the cause of this as he gets to the ward and asks Doris, who is the lady at the desk, about Madcap um, and if she knows anything about his presence. And what happens is the guards escort him out, but after he leaves, not realizing that he has enhanced hearing, the guards talk to her and ask her what she told him, and she said that she didn't mention anything about Madcap escaping the facility. So we cut to the dollar bill show, and Madcap is talking a little bit about his powers, and he brandishes a knife and stabs it into his gut, and when he pulls it out in a matter of about a second, the wound completely seals itself up, and so Madcap demonstrates his other power by looking dollar bill in the eye and using his uh, weird glowy eye thingy to make dollar bill go crazy. And clearly a dollar bill is all he has to his name because his production studio is his apartment and his crew is himself pointing a camera at himself. It's like YouTube before YouTube, basically. So Madcap is basically screwing around on the streets of New York as Dollar Bill films him until he causes enough commotion such that Daredevil notices. And when he makes his way over to Madcap, Madcap tries to use his powers on Daredevil, but obviously Daredevil's blind so it doesn't work. But being that it's a mental ability, it still does have a range um, of the telepathic variety, so Daredevil has to basically flee um, so that he's not close enough to be affected. So while Daredevil is distracted, these thugs who were hired by the organization that Madcap uh, stopped earlier in the issue, they kidnap him, they throw him in the back of a car, and they take him to this warehouse where they unmask him and start going at him with an axe, uh, which he doesn't seem to mind as he's screaming, Wee! Madcap is in many ways, both metaphorically and literally, the original Deadpool, in that he acts 
like Deadpool and has sort of similar abilities to Deadpool. And we learn also that he's sort of a nihilist. He has that sort of Joker philosophy of everything being a, a cosmic joke, everything just sort of being random chaos. And so the only logical response is to just sort of laugh at it. Given Steve Ditko's political affiliations or beliefs uh, about humanity in general, I find it weird that he would work on an issue like this, unless somehow he felt that it served his agenda. So Daredevil comes and he makes short work of the thugs, and basically how he figured out the location was he was interrogating people in the streets. But unfortunately, as he was taking these thugs down, um, a few of them opened fire on him, and in doing so, they caused a spillage in a gas canister, a gasoline tank. And one of them um, subsequently threw Molotovs into the room. And while Daredevil was able to sort of stop one, he wasn't able to stop the other. And as a result of that, the place catches a blaze. And um, basically, he's forced to make a decision between saving the goons and saving Madcap because he knows that he's not going to be fast enough or strong enough to do both. So basically, Daredevil has this sort of moral conundrum to solve. Um, he says basically that he knows that if he left this goon here, that if he left Max here, that it would mean certain death. However, despite the fact that Madcap is clinically insane, there is some evidence to suggest that he does have the ability to heal and to survive significant trauma. So basically, Daredevil makes the decision that his only real choice is to save the person who he knows for certain won't survive the occurrence over the person who might have a chance. And this kind of moment is something I really, really enjoy in Daredevil comics. The moral conundrum scenes, the philosophical debates that Matt Murdock has with himself in an exterior force in these books. Um, I really do think that the philosophical issues of Daredevil are some of the more interesting ones. That is the one where he has to make an impossible decision and we can see his sort of justification for said decision, whether he's correct or incorrect. And Madcap is screaming um, songs, basically. He's not, he's not screaming in pain, he's just sort of yelling, singing to himself about how his body is burning and he's watching it turn to ash in a very delightful manner um, as he perceives it. Now, I don't know if he's doing this to entertain himself or if he is trying to mess with Daredevil, if he's trying to get inside of Daredevil's head for the fun of it. So as the debris is cleared, we see them take out on a stretcher with a cover over it, Madcap's body. And so it's their belief um, that Madcap is dead, and it's Daredevil's belief that Madcap is dead. And basically, Daredevil walks away with the belief that his decision resulted in a man's death. And that's something he has to live with now. However, comma, we see that Madcap actually, his healing factor kicks in, and he, he's revived himself. And so basically what occurs here is um, Madcap comes back to life and he meets back up with Dollar Bill so that they can continue their cable TV escapades. So I really like this issue. I think the art is pretty stellar. I think this is some of Steve Ditko's better artwork uh, at Marvel Comics. Not that it changed the game in any way, like his work on Spider-Man or Strange Tales or anything like that, but it was really consistent and it was probably the most consistent Steve Ditko had been in Marvel Comics for a long time. And I think that the sort of position that Daredevil is left in, the, he, the, first of all, the position he's put in, and then the decision he makes, and the consequences as he perceives it to that decision, what he has to live with, what the cost was. 
I would give this a solid recommendation if you could find it for a dollar or two dollars. I wouldn't spend a fortune on it, obviously, but I think it's one of those solid issues of Daredevil from the 80s that's just sort of a one-off and doesn't need to tie into any greater narrative, and that's something we don't sort of get very much anymore in modern comics. And without any further ado, I'm very, very gracious and happy to present to you my interview with Black Cat author Jed McKay. And we'll be right back with that after this short bumper. Hi, this is High Priest Akonshu Ray, one of the hosts from Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. You're listening to Nights, a Marvel podcast hosted by Ethan Ainsworth. Enjoy the show. Okay, so I'm here with Jed McKay, uh, writer of Black Cat and uh, upcoming Alpha Flight one-shot, and uh, of course, writer of Man Without Fear. And I know you like to uh, roll off a good compliment, but um, <laughs> I, I personally think that Man Without Fear is one of the better Daredevil stories written in the last 10 years. I know there's some stiff competition. You got Mark Wade, you got um, Zdarsky, who's doing an incredible run right now. So how much direction did you have with the artist? Because the dream sequence where, where Matt's in a sort of coma, and he's sort of experiencing, like, he's fighting his inner demons and stuff like that. For example, there's um, a lot of style in that scene. There's a, a character, like a sort of fleshless daredevil. Was that you, or was that the artist? Uh, that was the concept of the, that was the character Pain. Uh, I came up with the, the design, then Danilo Beirut did the, you know, the, the drawing and actually you know, brought it to life and made it work. So yeah, I had the idea for a, a, a skinless daredevil, except for where you would see normally see his face and his cowl. Um, but then Danilo actually took it and did the, the heavy lifting and the hard work to make it happen. So yeah, he did, it was a great job there. It's gorgeous artwork. Yeah. All right, so how much of Spider-Punk was you? Did you have that pitch to you by Marvel, or were you asked to sort of come up with a pitch for a character in like an alternate Spider-Man timeline? The Spider-Punk character existed prior to the, the work that we did with him and the Spider-Verse and the Spider-Geddon stuff, but didn't really have anything about him. Uh, when um, the Spider-Office came to us and said, hey, here, we'd like you to do this, this story, here's a character that um, you've got to look for him, but we don't really know anything else about him, why don't you, you know, flesh him out, give him a secret identity, give him a world, uh, give him a history, and you know, let us know a little more of where, who this character is and where he comes from and that sort of thing. So prior, like prior to that, um, the Spider-Punk costume was actually, or so I'm told, the uh, it was meant to be the Spider-UK character, but then they went with the more sort of uh, traditional Union Jack Spider outfit, and but they still kept that this, you know the punk character around. And um, at that point, they just needed us to do something with him. So you decided on Hobie Brown as an ID? Yeah. Uh, I already asked you this, but you haven't played Spider-Man PS4? No, I've not. I don't. I mean, I don't really have much time for video games. <laughs> it's understandable. So it's it's Daredevil canon that Daredevil can sometimes like see things as a normal human would in his dreams. Mm-hmm. Was the dream sequence uh, a manifestation of Daredevil's like feelings and thoughts, or was he actually visually in the dream? Uh, I mean. In any sort of dream sequence you're going to see in a comic book, you're dealing with a level of a level of abstraction. Um, whether or not he's seeing something is kind of beside the point in that case. It is mentioned through the dream sequence that most of what he's getting is sensory informa- 
information. Like the bone grinding. Yeah, the, you know, the smells, the sounds, and things like that. Um, I didn't play it to, but also at the same time, you know, to, to render an entire hallucination radar sense <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't have kind of had the same impact that we were looking at. Uh, like, it's, you know, it's certainly something that would be interesting, but for the particular effect that we were trying to get out of that dream sequence, it had to be, I guess, ironically for a Daredevil thing, something that was quite, you know, really visual for the readers. Okay, so you might not be able to reveal this. I don't even know if you know, but what did Matt say to McDuffie? Oh, at the end of that issue. I've been, I'm dying. Uh, I mean, it's it's largely left up for interpretation. Yeah. Uh, based, I mean, the end result is the same regardless of what anybody uh, wants to put into that sequence of that he's you know sending her away because he's again he's crippled by fear in this this whole section and that's that's him succumbing to it. Okay, so what is your favorite run of Daredevil? I don't I, honestly, it's it's hard to say. I feel like Daredevil's characters that's existed for so long and has had so many different takes that have all worked extremely well. Um, I don't know if I have a particular favorite, and especially, you know, when writing Man Without Fear, I did a lot of deep diving into Daredevil's history, and a lot of it, you get a lot of it all, kind of all at once, so it's it's hard for me to say what my favorite Daredevil run would be, and also, you know, I haven't read every Daredevil run, and I don't I don't know if I feel comfortable saying one is particularly the best without, <laughs> without having such wide gaps in my knowledge of the canon at this point. Right. I, I mean, obviously, you draw inspiration from a number of runs. Uh, the classic uh, Miller stuff, the uh, yeah. the Wade stuff, is obviously referenced with Kristen McDuffie. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's that's the thing. Like Daredevil's a character who um, stellar track record. Yeah, exactly. Like Daredevil seems to bring out the best in a lot of creators, and I think that you you just you really see that, especially if you're going through it at a at an accelerated pace to to get you know a, a bigger basis of knowledge. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have a satisfactory answer for that one. Yeah, sorry. How are we supposed to interpret the Karen Page scene? Are we are we supposed to interpret that as like that's her actual manifestation of her being, or is it just like, is it just something you did to? So you said like was, was Karen Page's ghost like actually actually there? Like, like observing would, events? Would, yeah. Would, would like Doctor Strange walk by and say, "Oh, who, who's the blonde?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, I think it's one. I think it's one of those things that doesn't need and actually shies away from clarification. Right. Because I think in clarifying that Kath, you know, Karen Page is haunting a hospital, I think it would kind of lessen the, <laughs> of the story. It's uh, it's really emotionally impactful though, so congratulations, good job on that. Oh thank you. But yeah, like it's it's something that ha- that kind of requires a layer of abstraction. Right. And uh, to to get into it any more I think would kind of detract kind of take away from it. I mean, that's pretty well how I would expect you to yeah. answer, given that you're the writer. If you could write any ongoing, what would it be? If I write any ongoing, uh, I mean, as always, it tends to be whatever ongoing they'll let me write. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to write an alpha flight ongoing. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, they've always been uh, big favorites of mine, but I, you know, I'd love to, love to take another crack at Daughters of the Dragon. It's usually when you ask this question, you get kind of the, the big name the big hitter characters yeah, to work with, um, and I would, you know, I'd love to work on stuff like that. Um, but for me, for me, I always kind of like to think if, if I had the opportunity to do any ongoing, I'd like to take the, you know, the characters that are very extremely unlikely to get an ongoing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Are you reading the Zdarsky run right now, or are you too busy, like not sleeping and just writing? 
I'm, I have read some of it. I'm pretty far behind on it. Um, a lot of stuff I just kind of keep up with on uh, Marvel Unlimited. So there's the, the time gap, and it's just a matter of kind of leaving it to catch up uh, for a lot of that stuff. So it's like what I've read has been ex- you know extraordinary. Chip's done some really great work with the character, and I think he's got a really great understanding of where he wants to go with it, and mm-hmm. in a way that I think is largely unexpected for a Daredevil story. So I'm not up to date, but I think it's, uh, it's been really great. I think one of the great things about Daredevil is oftentimes writers pass the baton to each other, like set up a premise, like the uh, Bendis and Brewbreaker transition, where he mm-hmm. starts off in prison yeah. and his identity's outed and stuff like that. So I, I feel like you and Zdarsky really pass the torch well, and he carries on from what you're doing quite effectively. Yeah, like it seems to be the, the tradition that anyone passing, you know, leaving Daredevil puts him in a really bad spot for the, <laughs> uh, the next writer to pick up. Um, I kind of was stuck, was kind of put in the middle of that when, uh, when they asked for Man Without Fear. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think it was, uh, I, think, I think it worked all right. So anything you want to pimp out before we're done here? Uh, no, just uh, pick up Black, give Black Cat a try if you have not. Alpha Flight's coming out September 4th, Black Cat 4 is coming out September 11th, and check out Spider-Verse in October. Great, well thank you for, uh, for coming on. Right, I really no appreciate your time. No, not at all. For the forward front facers, the true believers, who know Walking Dead don't need shoes or sneakers. You know I don't know how to end this, cause I could go on about comics forever like Bendis. Ryan Otley, what's up man? Yo, J-Bone, I keep giving you money like a payphone. I gotta shout out all my people, strange adventures to the silver snail. Ah, uh, you got a question, Bert, you'll know. I make Canadian jams like Bernie Moreau. Google it. Take that one. Take that one. This guy's going crazy. You want it. You got it.